Chapters eleven and twelve of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eleven. Twas one of the charmed days when the genius of God doth flow. The wind may alter twenty ways; a tempest cannot blow. It may blow north; it still is warm. Or south; it still is clear. Or east; it smells like a clover farm. Or west; no thunder fear mrs gurner conciliated by a melton mowbray veal and ham pie washed down with copious draughts of edinburgh ale proved more tractable than might have been expected she did not forget that dignity which was the strong rock of her life she dilated upon the impropriety of a young gentleman giving a young lady a day's outing unless those two young people were specifically understood by their circle of friends or acquaintance to be keeping company she had seen enough of good manners before her misfortunes reduced her from the sphere in which she had been born and brought up to be fully instructed upon this point people who were keeping company might go where they liked people who were not keeping company must defer to the prejudices of a too censorious world walter reddened a little at these remarks while loo frowned and bit her nether lip and tried to tread upon her grandmother's foot under the table never mind the censorious world mrs gurner i hope you know that i'm not a scoundrel i have always found you in every respect the gentleman said the old lady pouring out a final tumbler of younger's edinburgh then you may feel sure that your granddaughter will be safe in my care i only want to give her a few hours fresh air see how white she looks i feel the want of fresh air myself said the elder lady with a faint groan but no one troubles themselves about my looks walter felt uncomfortable i'm sure my dear mrs gurner if you'd like to go with us he began making a desperate offer it would be fearful to have that old woman beside him in the dog-cart and he could hardly put her on the back seat with the possibility of her being jolted off and flattened upon the pavement he wanted to be alone with loo he wanted a long sunny day in the rural lanes sheltered by elder and hawthorn beside the winding river he wanted to talk of shakespeare and keats and byron pictures his hopes his future all those subjects which this poor uneducated loo seemed to understand even better than flora chamney happily mrs gurner had mercy on him no she said two's company i should only be an encumbrance besides i've had so little fresh air of late years that it might turn me giddy let her go let her enjoy herself youth's the time for happiness this with a dismal sigh the consent was yielded however and that was all mr leyburne cared about if it's a fine day to-morrow i shall call for you at eleven o'clock said walter loo tried not to look quite as delighted as she was after all she kept saying to herself his kindness was only pity walter went away curiously pleased at having gained his point the idea of to-morrow's holiday elated him he was surprised at his own gladness there's something so fresh and original about her he thought i suppose that's why i like her society so much or is it because i ought not to be so fond of her company ought not to have a thought for any one except that dear little flora who seems to have been created on purpose for me i wonder how it was eve listened to the serpent was it out of sheer perversity or because adam was rather a dull companion the next day was glorious balmy midsummer-like a day which raised walter leyburne's spirits to their most joyous point the ostler from the livery stables had the dog-cart ready for him when he went into the yard 
he had been artful enough to go to the yard for that vehicle rather than have it brought to his door in fitzroy square he saw no actual wrong in what he was doing but it seemed to him just as well that neither mark nor miss chamney should know anything about his little excursion he drove briskly round to voysey street astonishing the gutter children by the splendour of his appearance in light grey dust-coat and white hat loo was ready she had put on her claret-coloured silk his own gift to do him honour a black lace shawl the loan of which mrs gurner had on this occasion conceded draped her sloping shoulders a little black lace bonnet ingenuously constructed out of odds and ends perched coquettishly upon her raven hair hair which was plenteous enough to need no help from art her father who knew of the intended excursion and expressed no disapproval had given her three and sixpence for a new pair of gloves the result was satisfactory and miss gurner looked remarkably handsome so handsome that walter was almost startled why you look better than lamia he exclaimed and i thought i had you there at your best there's more life more colour i suppose it's because you look so happy poor child to think that the prospect of a drive in the country can give you so much pleasure it isn't that it's the prospect of being with you the girl answered almost involuntarily walter reddened a little just as he had reddened yesterday when mrs gurner made that awkward speech about keeping company but he never said a word and pretended to be rather busy with the horse for the next half-mile they left london by the bayswater road for a long time villas and gardens terraces houses detached and semi-detached flashed by in endless succession but when they had crossed hammersmith bridge they seemed to be in the country walter drove into richmond park by the sheen gate and across by the wildest loneliest roads in that lovely park to the kingston gate little bursts of rapture breaking from loo's lips at every change in the picture the scudding deer starting up from the young fern the arching elms above the road the plantations of pine and firs and tender larch where young grey rabbits flashed in and out among the undergrowth these things were all as new to louisa gurner as life and the world were to that ivory statue of king pygmalion's which the indulgent goddess endowed with consciousness walter drove slowly through the park to the painter's eye the vernal landscape was ever new and delightful and he wanted to see what impression natural beauty would make upon louisa for a little while she spoke not a word but gazed breathless with parted lips only expressing her pleasure by that occasional cry of delight but words came at last i don't so much wonder now she said you don't wonder at what keats and byron it puzzled me so much to think where all their beautiful thoughts came from but now i know the world is so lovely it doesn't seem so strange there should be poets a poet couldn't come out of voysey street he would hardly be much of a singer if he had never been face to face with nature certainly yet there might be stuff for such a muse as crabs even in voysey street and so you think the world lovely do you loo yet richmond park is only a little bit of the world byron knew i feel as if i'd seen all that he saw answered loo when i read child harold late at night while grandma's asleep not reading it as you'd read a novel you know but gloating over it i seem to be standing by his side if you were to ask me what lake lemon was like or the mountains or rome i couldn't tell you but i feel as if i had it all in my mind the water and the sky and the warm sweet air and everything standing out clear and vivid like a picture the work of a strong imagination loo rather a dangerous gift said walter with the air of a sage is it well sometimes i do fancy i was happier before i knew there were such people as poets 
i used to feel miserable enough then to be sure but it was a dull quiet kind of misery it didn't hurt me so much i could always sleep when i was tired and forget my troubles i don't think i ever dreamt in those days but now i feel restless and there's a fever in my mind sometimes and i have such wishes and longings for a brighter life this speech uttered with that reckless candour which was a characteristic of loo's made mr leyburne somewhat thoughtful i'll tell you what it is loo he began presently if you'd only let me carry out that idea of mine about your education you might have as bright and happy a life as any girl need wish for just think how many doors education would open for you you might get a situation as a governess or companion in some family who were roving about the continent and then you would see switzerland and italy and all the ground child harold travelled over do just consider i have considered and won't be beholden to you answered loo bluntly i don't want to be educated i don't want to be made any better than i am i should only feel my degradation more than i do now but my dear girl why harp upon what you call your degradation there's no degradation in poverty perhaps not i dare say some people have the art of making poverty delightful you read about such people in novels but there is degradation in dirt and we are dirty not for want of scrubbing and cleaning for i don't spare that but because everything about us is old and dingy and grubby the dirt seems to have got into the pores of the house and then grandma is dirty it grows upon her as she gets older and there's degradation in fine words mispronounced and misapplied and grandma does it there's degradation in not being able to pay one's way and we can't pay ours there's degradation in telling stories about pictures and father does it you can't lift me out of all that i'm steeped to the lips in it really loo you are the most incorrigible girl exclaimed walter sorely vexed by this obstinacy in miss gurner he wanted to do her some real service feeling that he had done her disservice by raising her ideas above the dull level of her most prosaic surroundings what am i to do for you loo he cried let me alone i don't want to be taught to despise father you can give me a day's pleasure like this once in a way if you like i can live the rest of my life looking forward to it walter did not respond promptly to this suggestion he had begun to think already that this day in the country a scheme of purest benevolence like the summer treats which the charitable provide for ragged school-children was rather a foolish business loo with all her abruptness and roughness was a dangerously interesting young person to the artistic mind all the more interesting perhaps because so unconventional there must be no repetition of this country drive if you wish to marry flora chamney but did he wish to marry miss chamney of course he did dear sweet little flora who was so fond of him he had found out that secret ever so long ago pretty little flora whose voice went so well with his own whose little hand trembled sometimes when he touched her unawares innocent little flora who was struggling up the steep mountain of art with a box of crayons shocking gulnares and ancient beggarman ad nauseam could he help loving that dear little girl especially when mark chamney's desire upon this subject was so obvious for ten minutes or even a quarter of an hour mr leyburne gave himself up to serious meditation they were at kingston by that time driving through the gay little market town with its quaint tables and old-world air then down by the thames and onward towards thames ditton and molsey loo was gazing around with wide admiring eyes 
the solemn avenue yonder skirting the palace grounds the clear rippling water the pretty villas all bright with tulip beds and hyacinth boxes and early roses on southern walls the cottage gardens full of wallflowers breathing sweetest odours a world of beauty verily after voysey street come lou said mr leyburne putting aside serious thought as a business that could stand over it's almost time we began to think of halting somewhere i mean to give you a row as well as a drive i know a nice little inn at thames ditton where they will give us a comfortable dinner and while they're getting it ready i'll row you up to hampton court bridge and we can land there and take a stroll in the palace gardens it is early yet and there's no hurry i wish the day could last for ever said loo with a sigh everything is so lovely the drive home will be still nicer for we shall have moonlight yes but it will be near the end then they drove to the little inn a quiet hostelry almost unknown save to boating men here walter delivered the horse to the care of a friendly ostler you've taken it out of him pretty well sir said the man i've brought him down from london i don't call that very much no more it ain't sir but he looks rather the worst for it well give him a pail of warm gruel and make him as comfortable as you can he won't be wanted till eight o'clock all right sir walter went in quest of a boat there were several lying on the little hard just in front of the inn-garden he picked the lightest and brightest looking and presently they were gliding over the clear water towards hampton between banks that were all rustic rush-bordered willow-shaded and now they began to talk walter dipping the skulls lazily into the water the boat making slowest progress against the stream how he talked pouring out every thought and fancy as freely as if lou were his second self his twin-born spirit with a mind that nature had attuned to his she seemed to understand him so thoroughly and all she said chimed in so well with his own thoughts what can surpass the delight of two minds thus in harmony one long summer's day of careless talk between such companions is a memory to outlast all vulgar pleasures and endure changeless through a lifetime walter leyburne had never been happier than he was to-day leaning forward with slow dipping oars reciting his dreams his hopes his desires to louisa gurner they lingered on the river careless of the flight of time then landed and sauntered in the prim old-fashioned gardens with their glorious vistas of blossoming chestnuts their placid artificial waters their famous basin of goldfish still the stream of talk flowed on and time was forgotten i wish i'd had a sister like you lou said walter as they stood side by side looking down at the smooth water in the home park on the other side of the iron rails i'd have made you a painter if you'd been my sister and we should have been such chums you can make your wife a painter when you're married answered lou with a faint touch of bitterness that pretty miss chamney you're engaged to i've heard she paints very nicely yes she has talent but it will be a long time before it comes to anything that i should call painting and she hasn't so bold a mind as yours lou she's not such a companion to a man as you are one must sing duets or talk about the last book she has read to get on with her but you seem to understand and sympathize with me about everything you follow my thoughts everywhere even when you have to grope through the dark when i talked to you about aeschylus just now i could see that you went with me into the dark hall where agamemnon lay groaning in his path flora would have only shuddered and said how dreadful but she has been well educated and must know a great deal more than i do she doesn't know a great deal of anything but she knows a little of everything she hasn't such deep thoughts as you have lou 
pray don't suppose that i mean to depreciate her she is a dear little thing and clever too in her feminine way she's essentially feminine if all women were like her no one could ever have talked of the equality of the sexes you might as well talk of equality between the oak and the primrose that grows at its foot as talk of flora's equality with a rough strong man that sounds like high praise yes she is a sweet little thing but you make a mistake lou when you talk of my being engaged to miss chamney i am not actually engaged to her something very much like it though i should think answered lou you talked as if it was a settled thing six months ago and since then you've always been hanging about her spending your evenings at her house except when i've spent them in voysey street except when you've dropped in to talk about pictures with father and stopped to supper and acquired a depraved appetite for liver and bacon and sausages and tripe said walter laughing there was a cloud on louisa's brow which she was anxious to disperse be sure of one thing lou he said whether i marry miss chamney or whether i don't i shall always be your true friend and as anxious for your welfare as if you were my sister it's all very well to promise that answered lou with a sceptical air but you can't tell how miss chamney would like it when she's your wife she mightn't care about such friends as me she would care for any one i cared for that's as may be she wouldn't care for any one out of voysey street she wouldn't care for a person connected with second-hand clothes it isn't likely but don't let us talk of disagreeable things tell me something more about skillis aeschylus suggested walter and obeyed the damsel's bidding it was much pleasanter to discourse upon the mighty trilogy than to discuss that doubtful and perplexing question of his future relations with flora chamney and louisa gurner he wished to do his duty to both and please everybody rather a difficult achievement with the help of agamemnon and orestes pleasantness soon returned to their discourse and forgetful of possible damage to the dinner ordered at the black swan they dawdled under the chestnuts and in the quaint old garden with its reminiscences of jovial charles and dutch william mr leyburne having abandoned orestes to the furies gave lou a brief historical lecture on the strength of their surroundings and felt that there was no easier or more agreeable labour than to open the gates of knowledge to a sharp-witted and sensible young person i'll tell you what it is lou he said you're what the italians call simpatica and it's the easiest thing in the world to get on with you when i think how little you know and how much you understand i'm absolutely thunderstruck lou blushed at his praise and that bright youthful look which means happiness glowed in her face they were a long time strolling about the gardens a long time going back to the boat nor did mr leyburne exert himself tremendously in the row back to the swan the sun was sloping westward as they landed on the little causeway below the inn garden never mind the sun said walter when lou suggested that it was growing late we shall have the moon with us all the way home the drive over kingston hill on the old portsmouth road is splendid by moonlight all was very quiet at the black swan the boating men who were the chief supporters of that riverside hostelry were nowhere to be seen walter and lou had the place all to themselves as if they had been alone together in a world of their own an elderly waiter exhibited an almost fatherly interest in their welfare chid them gently for having occasioned the spoiling of an excellent dinner and waited upon them with tender care happily neither mr labour nor his companion cared very much whether the stewed eels were reduced to a pulpy condition or the duckling roasted to rags 
walter had ordered a bottle of iced moselle which exhilarating beverage louisa tasted for the first time there was a gooseberry tart with a jug of cream which these young people preferred to the coarser dishes that had gone before altogether the dinner was a success to one of them at least a paradisiacal banquet they lingered over it as they had lingered over every stage of that day of pleasure the fatherly waiter brought them a pair of wax candles and the moon shone in through the now open casement of the rustic parlour while they were still engaged with that delicious gooseberry tart happily unconscious that they had perchance been taking gooseberries in another form in their moselle even gooseberry tart and cream must come to an end the parental waiter cleared the table with that gentle dilatoriness which was the pervading charm of his manner removing the glasses one by one and toying fondly with the crumbs as he brushed them into his tray Lou went to the window and looked out. The placid river ran rippling by under the moonlight. How different from that dismal phlegathon she had seen sometimes from Waterloo Bridge. The opposite shore had a dusky look against the clear dark azure of the sky. Shadowy willows dipping in the stream, solemn poplars rising spire-like into the blue. "'I'm afraid it's ever so late,' said Lou in an alarmed tone, looking round at Walter, who sat with his elbows on the table, staring straight before him curiously thoughtful how that moselle makes one forget things i never thought how the time was going why should you think about it asked walter waking from his reverie we are very happy aren't we lou what can anybody be more than happy what can time matter to you and me but it does matter a good deal answered lou anxiously grandma didn't say anything about the time i was to be home and i forgot to ask her how long i might stay but i know she'd be very angry if i was late and goodness knows how father might go on about it he's dreadful when he's angry he shan't be dreadful to you lou if i'm by said walter looking at his watch but taking care not to enlighten louisa as to the hour which was later than he had supposed what time do your people go to bed all hours sometimes eleven sometimes twelve sometimes ten if father's cross he generally goes to bed early if he's put out about anything we shall be home before twelve i dare say lou answered walter trying to look unconcerned he felt that he had been guilty in letting the time slip past it hardly seemed a correct thing even in a bohemian state of society to keep a young lady out till midnight before twelve exclaimed lou aghast but that's dreadfully late father's sure to be angry he shall not say a disagreeable word to you lou i'll see him and explain everything if he'll listen to you said lou still frightened at the idea of parental wrath but he's so violent when he's in one of his tempers and doesn't care for any one i'll smooth him down lou depend upon it and now go and put on your things while they get the trap round lou ran away to put on her bonnet and shawl and walter gave the order for the immediate preparation of the dog-cart it was past ten already and there was little hope of his seeing voysey street till after twelve chapter twelve love is no deity except when twin-born sprung from two hearts each yearning unto each until they meet though hades yawned between them thou art to me the world's one man and i for good or ill to thee the world's one woman having given his orders mr leyburne went out into the garden to smoke a parting cigar his thoughts had been curiously unsettled that afternoon the cigar might have a soothing influence and enable him to arrange his ideas better the air of the garden was perfumed with lilacs gelder roses gleamed whitely in the dusk of the shrubberied border 
the splish-splash of the river had a soothing sound altogether a nice place for meditation and tobacco how happy he had been that day what freshness and life there had been in loo's companionship never for a moment had their talk flagged save in those thoughtful pauses when silence is sweeter than words never had he felt himself misunderstood this was indeed society what if he were to shut his eyes to loo's wretched surroundings and secure this companionship to himself for ever make this day only the image and type of many a day to come a lifetime of such days alas there were too many reasons against his taking such a step first it is an almost impossible thing to sever a woman from her surroundings to marry loo would be to ally himself with grandma grandma in her greasy gown grandma whose breath hinted but too plainly at pickled onions whose slipshod feet dingy fingernails and affected gentility would be too heavy a burden even for affection with jared jared of doubtful honesty doubtful cleanliness jared the tricky and unscrupulous from the thought of alliance with these walter leyburne recoiled with absolute horror in the second place he felt himself in a manner tacitly engaged to flora true that no word of love had ever passed between them yet those gentle looks of hers those gracious tones were not the looks and tones of indifference could he after all these months of happy fireside companionship after being trusted by her father coolly depart out of her life and leave her perhaps on the threshold of an awful parting for walter had seen the stamp of doom on mark chamney's face and knew there must soon be severance for that devoted father and daughter could he knowing this knowing how utterly lonely that poor child was basically desert her even if bohemian loo with her gypsy cleverness pleased his fancy better he knew that mark chamney looked upon him as his future son-in-law mark always transparent as crystal had said enough to reveal that hope which had been in his mind from the very beginning of his acquaintance with the young painter flora would have a fortune about equal to his own chamney had told him that there could be no question of mercenary feeling here but to marry loo would be to fling himself into a nest of adventurers even if loo herself were free from every thought of greed from every worldly consideration and he was inclined to think her as indifferent to his wealth as flora could he doubt that jared and grandma those advanced students in the school of poverty were eager to draw him into their toils and would pluck him mercilessly were he to fall into the snare it was a connection which any young man with a grain of common sense would avoid as he would shun the bottomless pit and yet and yet what a noble creature loo had looked to-night as she stood by the open window looking out at the moonlit river what power and genius in that darkly pale countenance those splendid eyes the eyes which had inspired him with the first idea of his lamia the claret-coloured dress became her tall slim figure harmonised wonderfully with her complexion and the dense blackness of her hair in that dress in that careless attitude so graceful in its unconscious repose she had looked as much a lady as if her name had been written in burke's county families her birthplace a baronial hall even her voice and manner of speaking had attuned themselves to his she had lost the twang of voysey street if she were my wife to-morrow i should be proud to show her to the world just as she is no one would guess that she came out of a shop for second-hand gowns if she and flora were seen side by side people would be more struck with her than with flora she has more style more originality she would look like a tropical flower beside an english primrose with such musings mr leyburne beguiled the time till the dog-cart was ready the result of his meditation was almost negative 
he felt himself very much where he was before lou pleased his fancy most and an artist's fancy is so great a part of his life flora had the stronger claim upon his heart prudence said marry flora errant imagination whispered with whom are you so happy as with lou duty urged you are bound to flora conscience suggested may you not have endangered lou's peace of mind he left the garden with an uncomfortable feeling that do what he would he must wrong somebody that scheme of giving lou a good education upon which he had relied as a happy issue out of his difficulties had been a failure what else could he do to prove his friendship for this singular girl if she would not accept education from him she would of course reject all pecuniary help she would take nothing from him and he could not marry her he must therefore leave her amidst the wretchedness in which he had discovered her leave her with a keener appreciation of her misery lou was waiting for him in the room where they had dined and the dog-cart was ready he had but a glimpse of her face as they went out through the lamp-lit door of the inn but he saw that she was very pale and he fancied he saw traces of tears upon the anxious-looking face come lou don't be downhearted he said i thought you had more moral courage than to be afraid of a few cross words from your father even if he should think we have stayed too late i'll stand by you come what may yes he added with a little gush of feeling as he settled her comfortably by his side in the dog-cart and wrapped her in the warm shaggy rug yes dear i'll be true to you come what may the words thrilled her they had driven away from the inn and were in a narrow bit of road a mere lane leading up from that waterside tavern to the high road a dark bit of lane sheltered and shrouded by overarching trees his breath was on her cheek his disengaged arm which had been busy arranging that rug for her comfort clasped her waist and drew her suddenly to him before she knew what was coming his lips were on hers in the first kiss of an irresistible love in the next moment they were on the moonlit high road and mr leyburne had concentrated his attention upon his horse you shouldn't have done that said lou with a choking sound like a sob as she readjusted her slightly disorganized bonnet do you think i don't know that i shouldn't it was almost as bad as paolo's kiss and i deserve to float about in torment for it by and by only with you lou this shade should never leave you oh lou why have you made yourself so dear to me i want to do my duty to you to everybody i am almost engaged to that dear little girl in fitzroy square i can't tell you how good she is how pure and innocent and confiding i verily believe she thinks me a demigod and that she'd be miserable if i were to desert her who wants you to desert her demanded lou in a hard dry voice i'm sure i don't if you wished even which of course you don't to make a fool of yourself for my sake do you suppose i would let you i know too much of the world for that though i have been brought up in boise street don't let's talk nonsense any more please mr leyburne it was very mean of you to act like that just now but i am willing to pass it over if it isn't repeated you say that almost like your grandmother lou there's a touch of the old lady's dignity i won't offend you again it was the fault of the dark lane but if you knew what i felt just then i think you'd forgive me but i don't know you see remarked lou i felt as if i could surrender all i care for most in the world for that one kiss how much more easily for the sake of going through life with you for my companion i've been utterly happy to-day with you darling and yet if i am to marry flora this ought to be our first and last day together it's such a perilous happiness lou 
i wouldn't wish the repetition of it if i'd thought you were going to talk to me like this i wouldn't have come with you said lou how wildly her heart was beating all the time and what exquisite joy she felt at the avowal her lips reproved they were driving along the road between thames ditton and kingston the moonlit river flowing beside them on the other side villas with a light gleaming here and there in upper windows denoting that the inhabitants of this peaceful region had for the most part retired for the night the horse flagged a little already and mr leyburne had to administer frequent encouragement with reins or whip i'm afraid this fellow's done up he said will he be very long getting us home asked lou i hope not i dare say he'll go better presently when he feels his feet under him and in this hope they proceeded at a very moderate pace towards kingston who would have wished to hasten that moonlight journey through scenes which always fair assumed a dreamlike beauty in this tender light not louisa assuredly fearful though she felt of her father's probable anger not walter for this present hour was to him supremely delightful the future was all cloud and perplexity but the present was all sufficing they drove through the silent market-town where a light in the casement of a solitary gable alone gave token of life they mounted the hill and were again alone with nature that portsmouth road had a solemn look after sundown densely wooded here and there and with steep banks that rise from the roadside on either hand silence was round them they had night and the world all to themselves walter's lips once loosened were not easily locked and between kingston and putney he had said everything which he had intended to leave unsaid all his wise reflections in the inn-garden went for nothing he poured his impassioned tale of a love that had stolen upon him unawares into lou's too willing ear the girl drank the poison but showed more firmness and wisdom than her lover by not a word did she betray the depth of her own feelings upon my soul you're as cold as ice lou he said at last angered by her remonstrances or her silence for she only spoke to reprove his folly one would think you were hardened in the ways of the world and hadn't a spark of feeling left you might as well tell me if you care for me or if i'm making an idiot of myself for nothing you shan't make me answer a question which you have no right to ask lou replied resolutely you promised to give me a day's pleasure in the country do you suppose i'd have come if i'd known you were going on at me like this it's mean of you if i could get out of the dog-cart and walk back to london i'd do it don't talk like that lou you don't know how it wounds me i thought you cared for me just a little i shouldn't have humiliated myself if i hadn't thought so never mind i won't say another word i dare say flora will marry me if i beg very hard of course she will and she is the proper person for you to marry nobody ever doubted that and you know you love her and think her like some innocent spring flower white and pure and delicate too tender to be left alone in the hard rough world said lou with heroic unselfishness reminding him of his own words very well lou since you wish it i'll say no more he answered with dignity and again devoted all his attention to the horse that tired steed was in such sorry condition that it was nearly two o'clock when they drove slowly down voysey street making an awful hollow sounding clatter upon the uneven stones lou possessed by nameless fears what would her father say to this post-midnight return how might he not abuse her too well did she know that hideous vocabulary which he employed in moments of passion she trembled as they drew near the house from whose blank window shone no friendly gleam of light 
there was no difficulty about holding the horse that exhausted quadruped had little inclination to move though he must have been sentient of the neighbourhood of his stable walter dismounted and rang the bell first cautiously as to an ear awaiting the sound then after a pause with a louder appeal then still more loudly but after ten minutes patient expectation no one had come to open the door loo's white face looked at him awfully grandma must be asleep she faltered you had better ring again he had his hand upon the bell when the door opened suddenly with a jarring noise and jared gurner confronted him in a negligee costume that was remarkable neither for cleanliness nor elegance a dark red flannel shirt open at the brawny swarthy neck a pair of trousers tied around the waist with dirty cotton braces bare feet and tousled hair denoted a hurried rising from his bed who's there he demanded not without an expletive your daughter answered walter i'm sorry to have kept her out to such an unreasonable hour we left thames ditton in capital time but that beast of a horse was dead beat who did you say asked jarred regardless of the explanation come jarred no nonsense you're not going to be angry with your daughter for such a trifle altogether my fault my daughter echoed jarred with a strident laugh she's no daughter of mine i don't deal in daughters who stay out with young men till two o'clock in the morning take the baggage away she's no business in this house father cried loo pushing past her defender who had kept himself well in front of her till this moment father she cried with piteous appeal you're not going to turn me out of doors you're not going to ruin my good name for ever father with tones that rose almost to a shriek as jared half shut the door against her you can't mean to shut me out what have i done to deserve it you best know that he answered let the gentleman who has kept you out till two o'clock find you a lodging in future he shut the door with the last word they heard the bolts pushed home the rusty key turned the chain put up as if there were anything that needed the defence of bolts and bars in jared gurnall's domicile loo stood aghast upon the doorstep her father had been less abusive than his wont but he had done a thing which even her fears had never imagined never mind that brute said walter almost choking with anger i'll take you to some respectable hotel don't be frightened loo i'll take as much care of you as if i were your elder brother the girl planted herself on the doorstep deadly pale and with an angry light in her eyes i have a good mind to stay here all night she said to think that he should turn against me like that my own father and i've always been so fond of him he's a beast exclaimed walter and i dare say he was drunk no he was sober answered loo that's what i feel the hardest if he'd been drinking i shouldn't have minded so much i could have borne it better but he was quite cool he didn't even use bad language what can he think of me to treat me so demanded the girl passionately i tell you he's a beast repeated walter who could not get beyond that point don't let's worry ourselves about him jump into the dog-cart loo and i'll drive you to some respectable hotel there's a place i know in the strand where they stop up late for travellers i won't stir out of boise street cried loo with determination what go away with you after what he said to me i should like to stay on this doorstep all night and for father to find me here to-morrow morning but i suppose a policeman wouldn't let me i'll knock up mrs murgis at the general shop mary murgis and i went to school together at miss peminto's over the way and i know mary will give me a night's shelter 
what's the good of a night's shelter you can never go back to that house again can't i it's the only home i have to go to do you think i'm going to be turned out of it in disgrace i'll go back the first thing to-morrow morning please god and have it out with father i tell you lou it's impossible cried the young man warmly go back to that man's house after the insult he has just put upon you you shan't do it i told you i would be true to you come what might you shall never cross that threshold again lou i'll take lodgings for you to-morrow i've heard of that before said louisa in a freezing tone i've heard of people having lodgings taken for them and sometimes of its going so far as a brougham and a pug-dog i'd rather not thank you with asperity not a wild wood blossom by any means this young woman not a snowdrop whose petals no poisonous breath had ever polluted but staunch and pure after her own fashion lou cried walter indignantly do you think i am a scoundrel do you suppose i could be guilty of one unworthy thought in such an hour as this i beg your pardon mr leyburne i dare say you're good and true the girl answered remorsefully only i feel as if the world was all wickedness when my own father that i've worked and slaved for ever since i was a child can cast me out you shan't go back to his house lou get a night's shelter from miss what's her name if you like you shall go to a boarding-school to-morrow you'll be safe there and i'll go and tell your father where you are and that you've done with him done with him the girl echoed plaintively there was a time when i thought the world was only father walter lost no time in knocking up mrs murgis at her general shop it was a dingy passage enough into which he and lou were admitted when mrs murgis arose from dreams and came to answer that importunate bell sorely troubled by fears of fire or ill news from her married daughter at ball's pond but mrs murgis was kind and listened to lou's sad tale with sympathetic tut-tuts and you don't say so's and said that she could have half mary's bed and welcome and thus lou was safely disposed of for the night you shall go to boarding-school to-morrow whether you like it or not lou said the young man eagerly at parting i look upon your father's infamous conduct as providential even your obstinacy can't hold out any longer i'll go to school if you like answered lou despondently it'll make things smooth anyhow and make the way clear for you to marry the young lady in fitzroy square it can't much matter to anybody what becomes of me when my own father doesn't care but it does matter very much to me lou said walter they were in the dark passage just at the foot of a steep little staircase which good-natured mrs murgis had ascended to prepare for the unexpected guest and walter felt sorely tempted to repeat that sin of the shadowy lane at thames ditton but if it had seemed to lou a meanness then it would surely seem meaner now he refrained therefore and only pressed her hand with an honest brotherly squeeze come what may lou he said impressively remember i've promised to be true to you and with that pledge he bade her good-night and went back to the patient quadruped languishing for his table End of chapters eleven and twelve